Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 205. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Before we get started, I just wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is now live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main pages show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics, make things more discoverable, make things more uh, cross-linkable, and to for our benefit, to uh, help develop a little bit more content see what we've uh, discussed in the past and and what's going well. So if you have any feedback about that, we'd love to hear it. Uh, once again, it's graph.nerd-journey.com. That's graph, like G-R-A-P-H. Today we are talking about job interviews. This is the third in our series of interviews about the process of searching for a new job. In the news these days are companies that are letting go of employees, but at the same time, it is still an incredibly hot job market. So we thought that we'd address this issue and, and hopefully make kind of an evergreen episode about this process, evergreen series of episodes. In episode 203, we talked about, what did we talk about? Resume writing. And then 204 was searching for a job. That's right. So Episode 205, today we are talking about interviewing for a job. So this kind of presupposes that you've applied or been approached to apply for a position and are now being contacted for the first part of possibly getting the role by getting a first interview. Or maybe you're in the midst of a, a series of interviews. So uh, we have done episodes about interviews in the past. And so I just wanted to make sure to mention those. Episode two, we talked about different kinds of phone interviews. Episode nine, some of the worst job interview and application mistakes you can make. Um, and we also had a uh, discussion about how to dress for a job interview. Which is one of the best segments you will ever hear on Nerd Journey. Like best John White rant ever. It's great. Very true. It's Nick's Hashtag favorite. triggered. Nick's favorite rant of mine. <laughs> Episode 11, we had a section called 10 more, uh, where we addressed an article called 10 more questions to ask at the end of an interview to stand out, uh, which we're going to include in this episode. Episode 15, we had a topic interview myths. That was an article that we'll reference here. Episode 16, reasons not to pursue an opportunity before you even apply. And some of those reasons obviously apply even when you're in the middle of the interview process. So we're going to pull those. Episode 17 was reasons not to pursue an opportunity during the interview process and post-interview. So again, those are super relevant. Episode 53 through 57, we had an entire series about unexpected career opportunities when uh, you are approached 
um, or something comes up and, and something falls into your lap and, and you weren't even looking for it. Episode 66, that was about a move that I made, actually. That was when I moved from VMware to Google Cloud, and I talked a little bit about the interview process, um, what that looked like. So maybe that will be relevant to you if you are applying for a job at a company like Google or you know one of the big bigger tech giants. Fun fact, as of episode 200, this episode 66 was the most downloaded Nerd Journey episode of all time. And if you notice, what John is really doing here is he's just trying to keep it number one. Like, I get it. It's a... <laughs> That's right. We just slipped that right in there. Hey, go, go listen to my episode. Let's make sure it's number one. <laughs> Why even bother listening to this episode? Just go listen to that episode a hundred more times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's about the numbers. He wants to be on top when we get to 300. That's what he uh, Episode 81, uh, The Joy of Interviewing with Manny Sadu. He had a really interesting philosophy there. I think that is worth an uh, listen just in and of itself. Episode 84, uh, the management interview process and the differences from individual contributor interview processes. Uh, that was Brad Pinkston, the second part of a two-part series with Brad. Episode 122, storytelling and interviews with Bianca Blasset. Is that how you pronounce her last name? Brianna Blasset. Blasset, that's right. Um, that was also the second of a, a two-part with her. A very, very cool uh, discussion there. And finally, uh, episode 192, Mindfulness and in Interviews with Brett Hill. Again, we have covered that topic, this topic, you know, quite a bit. You know, we've done it a lot and we don't have a centralized place where we're, we're trying to bring everything together. And so we wanted to change that. We wanted to, to reference all those episodes to make sure you can fan out and listen to those things as they sound interesting or not interesting. And then try to extract some of the nuggets that we learned from those episodes and bring it into a central episode. Now we might uh, revise this again in the past and uh, in the future and enrich it even more and kind of displace this episode. And if we do, then in the show notes, we will change the show notes to say, Hey, you know, we've done an enrichment of this episode and go ahead and uh, maybe listen to that one instead. So go ahead and pull the show notes and see if you're listening to the most current version of job interviewing. Right. And if we mention a guest name, that means we interviewed someone and they gave their thoughts. If we didn't mention a guest name in the episode title, then that means it was just John and me speaking about it. Or we've forgotten who told us. <laughs> and and we, we now claim ownership of it just because we don't remember where we got it. TMTM. That's also very, very possible. Just to talk about the structure a little bit, we're going to really give an overview of, of the you know, the philosophy behind this. What is the goal when you're asked to interview? What is your goal? Next, we're going to talk about different types of interviews and, and some of our advice about the different types to do, what to be prepared for. And then we're going to talk about after the interview process is over, what you should be doing then and uh, what preparations you should be making and, and how you should react. So with that in mind, let's get started. So this first section, what is your goal when you're asked to interview? People overcomplicate this and, and overthink this. There are two goals. For the entire interview process, your goal should be twofold. The overall process, your goal is to get to an offer, a job offer. The short-term process or short-term goal 
is to make it to the next round of interviews, to, to be passed by this specific interviewer to say, yes, I think this person that I'm interviewing is appropriate to move forward with for this job. Your goal while you're doing this interviewing is to present this version of yourself that is tuned to the problems that this organization is having and is trying to solve via a hire, but also to evaluate the company. Do you actually want to work at this company? Do you actually want to work on this team? Do you actually want to work for this manager? So that's something that people kind of lose during this process. And so we're going to bring that up several times throughout this discussion. I have heard an interesting approach. And if the person who shared it with me is listening, you know who you are. But one approach is play to win in the interview process. But if you lose, you have made a lot of great personal connections along the way. Assuming, you know, you're personable enough to talk to that person again sometime outside the interview process. Absolutely. Yes. I think that I make it a point when I'm interviewing at an organization to keep track of all the people that I'm talking to and potentially add them and connect with them on LinkedIn. Generally, if the bare minimum of what I'll do is connect with them on LinkedIn or send them a message on LinkedIn and say, thank you very much for your time during the interview. Yeah. At the absolute minimum, even if you quote lose, don't get the job offer, you're going to learn something. Absolutely. Also want to mention that article that we talked about, or at least one of the resources that we've discussed in the past. It's an article from Moneyish, which is talking about the ways that people blow interviews. I think the title is, here's the number one way people blow an interview, but it actually covers, I think, 10 different ways that people, like, I think it was a survey of hiring managers and the things that turned them off the most. Number one was arriving late to an interview. Uh, next was whining showing lack of preparation, bad-mouthing a former boss, bad-mouthing a former company, making grammar or spelling mistakes on a cover letter, using poor grammar in an interview, having unrealistic compensation requirements, being underqualified, and answering questions incorrectly. So I don't know about you, Nick, but that spoke to a couple things there. First of all, bad-mouthing, grammar, and answering questions incorrectly, lack of preparation, that all wraps up to me to speak to kind of inability to communicate effectively. Preparation obviously is part of it and maybe tangentially uh, related. Maybe whining would be like a little bit more in the category of, of communication, effective communication, but mm-hmm. bad mouthing a former boss or former uh, company that you've worked for, it's just bad taste. There's better ways to hint at issues there. It's always more effective to be to be graceful about some of those things and just say, oh, we had some disagreements, and but, you know, I had a good time there. Or, you know, they treated right. me well, and then I left. Or, you know, something like that. And if they push you to be a little bit more candid about that, you can put it in positive ways. One of the things that I've learned about myself is that I need X to feel safe or Y to succeed. And... I'm sure that they thought that they were providing those things and I just needed them in a slightly different way than they were providing them. Uh, You know, maybe something like that. And that might even be going too far. You can just say the thing that you need, the thing that you learned about yourself, and you don't have to say they didn't provide that. You could just say this need wasn't being met in that environment. Right. That's one way. And yes, I agree with what you said about the communication element. We've had so many guests and actually Scott Lowe's 
episode on writing comes to mind. It's in the 150 somewhere. We'll put the link in the show notes. He mentioned how writing can help us be better communicators, not just in the written word, but also speaking. And so many other guests have mentioned writing as something they work on and practice and want to do well to improve their communication. That's such a good point. I think that in my mind, it's a practice and it's a process. You're never going to achieve perfection when it comes to effective communication, but you can bias yourself towards success by doing it over and over again, having people check it for you. Hey, I'm, you know, this is a talk that I'm going to give. Hey, this is a one pager that I'm going to propose that, you know, we publish. Can you check it for me? Can you tell me whether I'm communicating what my goals are effectively within this document, within this speech, within this discussion? Always ask for feedback and take it constructively and then actually work on it. And then when the stakes are slightly elevated, like during a job interview, you can just fall back on all that practice that you've had and the experience that you, you've, you know, rolled up and, and you don't have to think, you know, so hard about it. It'll just be more of a reflex at that point. That's the goal. Yeah. And I think for the preparation point, to me, that means prepare some things you would like to know from the person who is interviewing you. There, there have to be things you want to know, but you have to think about some of those in advance because you probably aren't going to be able to think of a lot of them on the spot because you're going to be, you're going to be nervous. Yeah, absolutely. This is a thing that we're going to talk about over and over again, being prepared with questions that you want to ask the interviewer to extract information about the organization, again, about the management, about the team, about the culture, about how employees are treated overall. And, you know, the goals of this organization and team that you're joining, whether that aligns with what it is that you envision for your career, that these are all important things that you need to know. And again, I think something else that we'll talk about and touch on over and over again, have you gone back and reviewed your resume and reviewed the job listing? Do you have those things on hand with you so that you can say, refer back to the job listing? or refer back to something within your resume that you can reference and say, oh, this question that you're asking me uh, reminds me of this experience I had. Um, you can probably see it on my resume at this organization. You know, when I was in that product manager position, I, X, Y, Z, we did A, B, C, et cetera, et cetera. So you're giving them like kind of a reference point and telling them where in your career you had this experience so you can give them a little bit more grounding about how you're answering this question. So that's part of preparation too, knowing your resume and knowing the job description. Well, I would take it a step further and say, knowing the version of your resume that you submitted for this company, oh, yes. because it may not be exactly the same as one you submitted for a different job at a different company that had slightly different requirements. Very so you may need different stories for this interview. Maybe it's pulling from the same pool of, I don't know, 20 to 30 that you have handy. Maybe you need 10 of them for this, and it may not be the same 10 for the other. Right, right. Okay, I also want to reference another article that we came across, um, and this is titled Five Myths About Interviews You'll Want to Stop Believing, and this is from uh, the Washington Post uh, jobs section. Um, they have a really good jobs and careers section that I read fairly regularly. 
These are really interesting myths. Your interviewer is completely prepared. Myth. Interview questions have correct and incorrect answers. Myth. Let the interviewer ask all the questions. <laughs> Definitely a myth. The most qualified candidate gets the job every time. Probably not. Thank you notes are no longer required. Definitely a myth. I know that Nick in the past has used thank you notes to stand out. Have you not? Indeed, I have. Yeah. And it's not just send a thank you note to send it. You need to actually mean it. Yeah. And hopefully you've come across as a sincere person in the interview. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's get into the meat of the content, the types of interviews and some advice that we have about going into each. The first type of interview that we see a lot that people don't even necessarily realize is an interview is an HR screening interview. And what we mean by that is in the people operations or human resources department of an organization, they'll have a recruiter role or somebody who's trying to do initial screens on a large list of candidates to kind of qualify them into the pool of people who need to be interviewed by more specialized people, like maybe the hiring manager. So that person is probably screening you for your experience and appropriateness for the job, skills that you have, the seniority that you're at, whether that matches what the job requirement is written for. So you want to be ready to cover basic screening questions. And by basic screening questions, I mean, talk about what seniority level you're at and how you demonstrate that via stories that exist on your resume. Maybe the scale of the projects that you've worked on and the importance of your role within those projects, how those relate to what the job listing is. The job listing probably says things like, hey, you need to have these skills. You need to be able to do X and Y and Z. And you want to be able to speak to how you've done that in the past. Probably within the job listing, it's listed in the order of importance, most likely. So if you have a limited amount of time, you probably want to prepare from top to bottom in their listing. And this is a good time to ask clarifying questions about the job description if something's unclear. Yes, absolutely. For example, it might say 20% travel. What does that mean to that organization? Does that mean every fifth month you might travel for one day? Or is it every fifth month you're going to be gone for the entire month? Or does it mean every fifth week you might be gone for one day? Or does it mean every fifth week you might be gone for the entire week or somewhere in between? Or every Friday. Every Friday you're going to be gone. Yes, that's also 20%. What, is, what does 20% travel mean? One thing that people have questions about is addressing salary. I'm going to, first of all, address my bias. My bias is coming from a position of feeling fairly secure, not only in my position, but my ability to find a new position if my position were suddenly terminated or I needed to quit. So I feel much more secure about stating my salary requirements up front. I think that it is very fair to disclose kind of the minimum salary that you would need to consider changing your job or joining this organization. And you can do that without that organization taking that as the maximum amount of money that you would be willing. <laughs> That's the, the maximum amount that they ever need to offer you to for this job. You know, I think people have that fear if you say, hey, I really can't change for less than $100,000. They're not necessarily going to think, okay, 
all we need to do is offer this person a hundred thousand dollars and they will change. Like, that's not what you said. That's not what you meant. And it's not, I, I don't think that we have to assume that that's what they heard. You are saying very simply, I, I can't really consider less than a hundred thousand dollars. And you're telling them if this is, if this is a position which will not exceed, you know, it won't even get to a hundred thousand dollars, then they are understanding that this it might be a waste of their time to pursue you. Like they need to take a step back and say, well, are we willing to go the next, you know, pay grade up in seniority to acquire this person? And they need to make that evaluation. And it's going to be a complete waste of your time if you go through the entire process and then you find out at the end after investing, I don't know, a month of like of labor on your part outside of your regular work hours that that this position doesn't meet your minimum, you know, salary requirements. It's, it's, you've wasted a bunch of time. So that is kind of my position, but I've also stated my bias up front. Yeah. And I think it's not, it's not unacceptable to ask the recruiter, is there a pay range that you can give me to expect for this role? Yes. I'd like to at least have some idea of what's possible to see if it matches what I'm looking for. Just as you said, in much the same way, to make sure that no one's wasting anyone's time. Yeah, very true. And I'm sure that Cat Troyer and Liz Bronson over at Real Job Talk probably have some episodes that you could go listen to on this exact topic. Yeah, they're an excellent resource, actually, for exactly this type of discussion. A, a specialist resource, you might even say. Yep. We just have opinions. Well, and experience to pull from. I mean, we've each done some interviews in our lives. We've each done some job changes. So we can tell you what's happened to us. It may not be exactly the same for everybody else, but the more perspectives you can get, probably the better. Very true. So as always, you want to be prepared. Prepared with your stories to cover you know, your resume and to cover the job requirements and kind of the day-to-day, what the day-to-day work looks like and, and how you would approach that. Again, they're they're screening and you're trying to get to the next step. And you're also trying to find out if this if this is something that you want. They if they're telling you, okay, well, you know, we expect you to typically people are in the office fifty hours a week and you know, like you can make an evaluation immediately. Well, maybe that's for me and maybe it isn't. And does the recruiter work for the company in question or are they contracting for them? That might be an interesting point to try and figure out. I don't know 100% how it might affect what the process ends up becoming, but it it seems like an interesting statistic to know the answer to. Yeah, I have an opinion on that, actually. So there's okay. a couple different different models. One is somebody who's com- completely 100% employed by the company in question. They're an internal recruiting resources is how I think I'd term, term that. And then there is kind of that position that you talk about, which is a a contract recruiter. And then there is a third party external recruiting company who is looking to provide the organization with a bunch of qualified candidates. And their compensation model is to make a percentage of the salary of the person that they place, that they manage to find in place. That last type has the highest incentive for you to be placed there because until they place somebody they're probably not going to get paid they probably are not on retainer a a contract recruiter probably has a compensation model where they're making some kind of 
base amount of money, but then for every position that they fill, there's a bonus um, or large variable pay, you know, almost like a, a salesperson would make. And they're also not a full-time employee. They're a, a contractor. And then an internal resource w who's full-time might have a bonus structure around getting paid, you know, based on placement, but is probably not as leveraged as a contractor. So right. they're incentivized differently. I would say the more you're working with people who are third-party recruiting firms, it, the, it typically, in my mind, means that you're working with a company that is a little bit more of uh, in a startup phase. So they don't have a a reason to have a full-blown on-staff recruiting department, even contracted staff. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. And while we were talking, it jogged my memory. Another episode we should have pointed out as a good one to go look back to is episode 174. Dominique Top was actually a recruiter for DevOps type roles. And she used that to learn more about the DevOps role. And she shares some really good advice on working with recruiters. A good recruiter is worth their weight in gold. Yeah. Good episode to listen to. Very cool. So let's move on to another type of interview. And that would be like the initial call with a hiring manager. You might go straight to this interview and they might be doing a little bit of a screening call with you. Or this might be something that happens after you get past by the uh, recruiting person, the recruiting screener. So again, you know, very basic stuff. Make sure that you prepare. Know the job listing. Have a story you can tell about, you know, each potential requirement or what the daily activity is. You know, this job looks like this. Again, hopefully you've saved the job listing. That is something that we always encourage people to do because it might disappear. If it's already disappeared, then you might want to see if you can find a similar job listing or or maybe look at the Internet Wayback Machine. That's always a way to, to grab it. Make sure that you have good answers for some of the top interviewing questions in your job area. Some typical ones that are a little bit more generic would be things like, how would you address conflicting time requirements? How would you handle conflicting ideas on how to address a, a technical issue? How would you address a conflict in work style between you and a colleague? What's leading you to consider changing jobs? And then think about things that are specific to your role and maybe how to, to make those questions specific to your role. For example, how would you address conflicting time requirements for a sales engineer might be, hey, how would you address a situation where you have you're working with two different salespeople and they both need you at a, at the, on the same day at the same time. How would you make sure that you are picking the appropriate uh, salesperson to, to go with? And if you don't know the answer to that question, then think about how you would do that. <laughs> In IT operations and two different departments need you to join their departmental meeting you know, which are at the same time, the same day, how do you figure out which one to go to? How do you evaluate the two meetings and, and figure out which is the more appropriate? You know, these are, these are important questions to be able to answer. Think about, again, questions that you might need answered during this interview process. And we'll reference 10 more questions to ask at the end of an interview to stand out, which is again from the Washington Post. They have some really good questions to ask. These are questions that will help you stand out, but 
more importantly, they reframe the question of evaluating you for the job to you evaluating them as a place that you might or might not want to work. So hopefully during the interview process, you have done enough to stand out, right? And they are starting to think, well, this, this might be the person, or this is probably one of the people that we want to consider for a fine as a finalist. Now, after you've gone through that work, you want to start asking questions that indicate that you are evaluating them on whether or not you would want to move over to their organization or join their organization. Nick has a favorite question here on this list. Which which is it, Nick? Mine is, what do you like about working here? Mm. And I actually like asking recruiters that question too. Yeah. Assuming they work for the organization internally or right. what made you want to work for this company? And sometimes the answers are come with a really interesting story. And I, I actually think it's not a bad thing to ask a hiring manager what made you want to be in people leadership and what would a typical one-on-one be like between you and me after, you know, post-hire? What would that yeah. look like? Yeah. What kinds of things would we talk about? What would you want to know? How frequent would they be? What are your team meetings like? And again, these are questions that indicate that you have knowledge of this type of situation. You've been in it before. You're experienced in this, and you want to know whether or not this is the type of environment that is something that you would want to join. You know, are they the type of manager that you would want to work for? You might also want to ask about career conversations with that manager. Hey, what percentage of our one-on-ones would be dedicated to career advancement and me getting better at the role or me progressing within the organization? How would how would that look? Is there a technical career path for me to uh, progress as an individual contributor if my next step isn't people leadership? Right. Very important. So I'll pick and choose some other questions, but again, we're going to link to the entire article so you can take a look at it and we'll include all the questions in the show notes, but you know, you should probably click through and read the article from Washington Post because it has some additional color and explanation and and discussion about, you know, why these are great questions. The one of the ones that I like is what qualities would a person need to succeed in this position? And can you give me an example of what I'd be working on if I started tomorrow? And I think this sparks something I think that you said to me once, Nick, which was, what would I need to be doing, you know, six months from now or one year from now that would make you consider to me to be a successful hire, right? What would that look like? What does success look like for me after the period of time? Absolutely. There's some additional ones that maybe speak to stability, like how often do you expect the responsibilities of, for this position to change? Um, what challenges are you facing as a company or division right now? Do you expect to make additional hires over the course of the next few months? Now you're evaluating them for growth, for stability, and maybe dynamism. Like if you're getting hired into a team and they do their responsibilities grow over time, that's fine. If their responsibilities turn you know, 70% of the responsibilities turn over every six months, maybe that's not fine. Right. Maybe your tar- Maybe you are interviewing at a hyper-growth startup and you need to go listen to the episodes that we had with Andrew Miller where he talked about how it was a different company almost every quarter. Yeah. Because that, that could be the case. Yeah, and you might be fine with that. In fact, you might prefer that. But that's something that you need to find out about the organization during the interview process. I'm thinking maybe we should move on to other types of interviews. 
we could go another hour on this topic. So what if we That's just call it here and did a part two of this? Absolutely. With that in mind, next week we will, in episode 206, complete this discussion about types of technical interviews. And we also get to, um, after the interview process is over, you know, what should you be looking at as far as next actions and, and how you're treated at that point? I think that's everything that we had planned before we uh, break for uh, this uh, next week. What do you think, Nick? Anything else? I just want to break a perception that people might have that the hiring manager is always first call after the recruiter because that is not always true. I'll tell you more next week. There's the cliffhanger. Excellent. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. All right. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios.